Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is The Revolutionary Podcast. So this is week two of our year-long series as we are studying the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter two, the very beginning when the church is born and when God begins a new age in human history. Now, this is in a very, very, very important time because it is the beginning of something that has continued up until this day. And some themes that we're going to cover are the importance of the Holy Spirit, the initial reaction, like what did God fulfill on this historic day and how that impacts and matters to us today. So let's dive right in and see what God has to say in his word. This is your first time back, and if, if you haven't been with us since last week, we are starting a unique uh, study here at our church over, it's a year-long study where we're going to study the book of Acts for the entire year. So our series for 2022 is just going to be one thing, to the ends of the earth. And so the point of it is for us to better understand not only who we are as a church, what is our activity supposed to be, what are we supposed to look like, sound like, talk like, act like, but throughout the whole process, we're going to get to know who God is throughout all of it. So over this year, we are going to look at the first 30 years of the church after Jesus resurrected. And so before we open up uh, to to get us in the right mindset of what's going to happen as we're going to move on and move the next chapter, I just want you to sit for a minute. And this might be interesting. This might be depressing for some of you. So hopefully it's not the latter. Could you imagine, could you imagine being an early investor in Tesla, Amazon, Marvel Studios or Disney or Bitcoin? Could you imagine being an early investor in those companies when no one knew who they were, when it was cheap to do? Could you imagine for a minute? Some of you don't want to because maybe you, maybe you turned that down and you knew about it. I was like, I knew. I was there and I thought about it. Uh. The, could you imagine being an early investor in those companies, right? With very little, maybe with small, with a little amount of money, if you had invested it right now, oh my gosh, right? I mean, your, your life would be completely different, right? So many things because back then, if you put a little bit in, you could get a lot out. But now, is that the case? Could you go in right now to any of those companies and bring a small amount of money and make a ton? No. Why? Because you need to spend a lot of money now in order to be able to have just a little sliver of whatever that is. And it's, it's not going to be the same. How come? Because you missed a certain window of opportunity. You, you understand that? And so now you didn't know about it. Back then, I mean, no one, no one knows when these, you know, you kind of can forecast sometimes these things, but no one really knows when things happen like that. We can't predict the future like that because if we all could, we all would be rich, right? We'd all be doing that right now, finding the next Amazon, the next Tesla, the next this, so that we can invest and put money behind. But the reality is we can't forecast a future like that. So not only did we miss that opportunity, but this can be a little weird to consider that you will miss opportunities in the future. That's just the reality of it, right? I mean, there's all, if you even look back, we've all done this. You know, we've had that, that one job that we should have took and we didn't when we had that moment, right? That opportunity maybe for some of you to start in a company when it was just starting out, you had a chance and maybe you left too early or you didn't do it. You had this one idea that you should have took and then you didn't do anything and then someone else came up with the same idea and now they're rich, right? You, 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 I know I'm not the only one who's thought of things like that, right? I'm like, ugh. I had that idea first, right? And so we had those things. There's um, different relationships, stages in life that we miss opportunities on, if you think about it. And you don't realize you've missed out on it until it's gone, right? Maybe as parents, for so some of you guys are parents, you now begin to, maybe you're, you're starting to realize, oh, I did not take advantage of that window when my kids really needed me. You know, it was annoying. They needed me for everything. Ugh, that was so bad. But now they don't need me anymore. I'm like, oh, I miss that. You know, you, you didn't maybe enjoy it as much. That one stage, maybe in your marriage when you realize, you know, life before kids, 
We didn't take advantage of that, right? Or, or, or little things. There's different stages in life. Maybe your health, right? There was moments that, oh, I could have done this. I could have gone on that trip, but now it's just too hard because of this or that. That's normal, right? We're all accustomed to disappointment, yes or no? We're all accustomed to that level of disappointment because we all miss out on opportunities because we don't all realize. And so the future reality is, guys, there's going to be moments you're going to miss. That's normal. It's a part of life. But there is one window of opportunity that I have to highlight. I need to make sure that you understand because Jesus, because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, there is a window of opportunity that he opened up that is still available for us today. But like all of these windows, eventually they're going to close. And I want to make sure you guys are all aware of that so that you can take as much advantage of it right now as you could. Again, imagine if you knew, if you knew you could invest in like Tesla before it blew up, would you not have taken advantage of it if you knew that was going to happen? Yes. And so I'm here to tell you there's a future reward that's going to happen. And now is the time to take advantage. So with that, let's look at Acts chapter two. So this is last week we were in Acts one. It was the beginning. It was kind of like this introduction time between it uh, kind of highlighted the 10 days after. Well, actually, it, it culminated the 50 days between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension and what's about to happen. So Acts 1 actually covers a span of 10 days. And so we're looking right now, Acts chapter 1. So if you're taking notes and you have, we have a note app online as well that you can take uh, digital notes, send yourself some stuff. I, I'm even adding a small group guide to those notes, a parent guide. So that way parents, if you have teenagers, you can have this conversation. If you have kids, that's all online. You just go to tabernacleofgod.church and there's a message tab there. I'm sorry, notes tab. You can get it all there. Uh, so this first one, we're going to look at this one section, the promise received. All right. So that's what we're going to look at right now. Acts 1. So if you got your Bibles, it's on the, the Bible's on your app, and we got it online, and we're going to put it up for everybody if you don't have it. So let's read Acts 1, chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 1 through 4. All right, so here we are. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, which were the disciples, the apostles, there are 120 of them, uh, men, women, the, the 12 that Jesus knew, a bunch of people, they were all together in one place. And then suddenly a sound like, this is an important phrase here, a sound like a violent rushing wind, a howling wind. Here in Florida, we're accustomed to hurricanes, and so we know what that sound is like. Imagine that this violent gush of wind, the sound of it, there's no wind, no physical wind, just the sound of it, okay, is rushing. It came from heaven, and so there we see the source, and it filled the house where they were all staying. And they, again, the disciples, saw what looked like tongues like flames. So it wasn't real flames. The house wasn't on fire, but it looked like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them, 120 of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in a different tongue as the Spirit enabled them. So let's pause for a minute. So this is that moment that I was talking about. That historic moment where the promise is received. And this is just, I'm going to kind of nerd out for 10 seconds, so bear with me. The book of Acts is the beginning of the church. It's the story of the church. Well, Luke, which I mentioned, he's the author of Acts. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. What's interesting about the gospel of Luke? He is the one who captures the, the Christmas story. He's the one of the birth of Jesus and all the details that you've seen in the movies and stuff like that. That's what Linus in them quote, right? It's, it's, it's Luke. And Luke... And Acts open up the same way. What happens here? The Holy Spirit descends down upon the earth and the church is born supernaturally. In the beginning of Luke, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends down, comes, on, comes upon uh, Mary and Christ. There's something that has begun, a creation that has happened inside of Mary because of the Holy Spirit. Here we see a creation that is happening inside of these people. And the beginning of the book of Genesis, what do we see? But the Spirit of the living God hovering over the waters... And then God beginning to speak and creating all things with his breath. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And here's the thing about vocals and talking. When you talk, you express air. There's wind when you talk. Every phrase is you are pushing out air. And so God for those days is just throughout all of creation and everything is popping and popping. And so here we see this wind creating things at the very beginning. And that same breath of life 
is breathing out right now upon this group of people, creating something very new and radical and revolutionary that has altered that the really history since this moment. And so, which is really cool, I, I noticed that, that we were saying that the promise is received, and, and the fact that when it happened is very unique. So you guys caught it, he said, in the time of Pentecost, all right? Luke wrote these details down to help us understand something. Now, that word is a word maybe we don't use, but this is a really interesting when all of this happened, when the church started. And so Pentecost was this kind of like hybrid celebration. It was a, it was a holiday that the Jews celebrated 50 days after Passover. So like some of us, right, you do Thanksgiving, about a month later, we have another major holiday. So imagine that. Passover was their big holiday. 50 days later, Pentecost. And so Passover was when they celebrated the, when they were freed from Egypt. Okay, Moses, they sacrificed this lamb. The next day, God has delivered them, freed them from their Pharaoh, from oppression, and they used to be slaves. Now they are free. 50 days later from that moment, they're on this mountain and they're face to face with God 50 days later. And what happens on the mountain? Fire and wind descend down upon the mountain and God reveals himself to his people. And he gives this mosaic law, which is this, you know, the Ten Commandments and stuff like that, which was a law that was designed and meant to show people who God was and also this external means on how to live with God. So it's interesting timing. And so that happened 50 days later. So here, what do we see at Pentecost at the same moment? The same thing, 50 days after Jesus died on Passover, and he was that sacrificial lamb that because of his blood and sacrifice, that covers the forgiveness of our sins. And so now Jesus has liberated us from our, our spiritual Pharaoh and spiritual Egypt, which is hell, sin, death, and the devil. And now we are no longer slaves to sin because of what Jesus did. And he is, now he's delivering us and leading us into the promised land, which is going to be eternity with him. And so interesting, 50 days after that, what happens? Here they are, not on a mountain, but in an upper room, and fire descends down. And this time, instead of God giving this external law, he is fulfilling a promise that he said, I will write my law in their heart. I'm going to imprint myself upon them. So now it's not this external means of, uh, of a rule of life, but now it's internal life. It comes from here. Super cool. And also, Passover, or not Passover, Pentecost, happened on another version of that, another name that they celebrate. It's kind of like a hybrid uh, holiday. Not only did they celebrate that past event of, Pe of Pentecost of receiving the law, but it was also the mark of a harvest season. So this time around the spring, 50 days around June, late May, this is when they would happen. This is when all of the harvest, all of the things that they had reaped, now it's starting to come out. So now this is the beginning, the first fruits of the harvest. And so what they would do is they would worship God, give him a sacrifice of first fruits, and they're saying, God, we thank you for not only the beginning of something, but we're going to pre-praise you for the harvest yet to come. Yeah, some of y'all already ahead of me. You see where this is? So what happens on this day? Well, Jesus is the first fruit of our salvation. That's what the scripture says. He is the first one to be raised from the dead. And these 120 are the first, literally the first harvest of souls. And it happens on a day where this is the beginning of a harvest yet to come. And you know what? That, that includes you and all of us in there. That is this season, this moment that is all happening. And so... Did you notice that we're going to talk about the sights and sounds in a minute of what you, because that was really interesting, those, those elements. But there was one thing that I want you to see is that this sight and the sounds of it really spread equally. All 120 of them in that room experienced the same thing. And you can't lose sight of how beautiful that is because this is what God is creating in the world. He's creating a new people group, a people that is not defined by your nationality because back then, up until this point, God's people were just designated as the people of Israel, that God was going to do something in one nation for all the nations of the world. And here in this moment, God is fulfilling his promise. And he's now opened up. He's opened up membership to the family of God. And now it is no longer based on your daddy. All right. It is no longer based on your DNA. It is based on your faith and your heart. And so now here, this people group is being, there's no one that was excluded in this room. The men and women, the, the uh, young and old, everybody, this equal experience that was happening to each and every one of them. And they received this experience by grace 
which is just the general generosity and the gift of God, they received it by grace through faith. That's important for us today. Because, see, this group of people, they didn't do something to earn this special privilege. They didn't do something that meant that they were kind of like, you know, like we were saying a minute ago last week you saw in the video, they weren't like churning and pumping the, you know, the priming the pump to experience this. Now, I said last week that this church positioned themselves to encounter God, but I just want to give one caveat to that. What they didn't do was, you know, it wasn't a, a, a flesh-based thing. They weren't doing certain things because they're, you know, some, you know, Christians, sometimes we believe that, well, if I do certain things, then God, you got to be careful with that because this is not like a slot machine. You know, this is not like I put 50 cents in, I get a soda, you know, this is like 75 now. I, I don't know the last time I bought a soda from a vending machine. Um, and so this is not something you do and boom, and there it is like transactional. These people, the, what they experienced and what they were doing was they were doing it because of the love of God in obedience to God. They were there because it was faith and faith alone. And they encountered this. And this, this thing was pretty cool. So you heard, it said there was uh, sights and sounds. What, what did they hear? It was something that sounded and sounded like a wind. But again, imagine there's no wind. There's no physical wind. But it sounded like just literally a hurricane or a tornado just descended upon them. But they're hearing this sound and not seeing anything. That would have, you know, that would be a little freaky. But there's a unique reason for that. And so what does that mean? Again, this breath that we're seeing, it comes from where? It said it came from heaven. This is the breath of life, the same breath of life as God in Genesis was putting Adam together. And what did he do? But and breathe life into Adam, and he came to life. Well, these 120, that is what God is doing. This is recreation, incarnation all over again. God is breathing new life into them, and these people are being raised from the dead spiritually. Before, up until this point, they were dead in their sins, but they believed in Jesus for their salvation, and because of that faith in Christ, this breath of life, like if you've seen in the movies and stuff like that, you see somebody passed out, right? Just cleared, all right? Like saying, that's exactly it, this analogy. These guys are brought to new life. So there's the sound that we hear, this breath of life. But then what about the, the little fire? See, this is a unique thing because notice, what do we see about the detail about the site? It fell on, it separated, right? This flame that they see separated and fell upon whom? Everyone. See, when it comes to wind, you can't really see wind. And, and wind is always representative of God because do, do we know how the wind works? Ish? We do and we don't. Can we control the wind? We can manipulate it, but we really can't control it, if you think about it. That is God. God cannot be manipulated. He can be, you know, used and understood, and we can see the evidence of the wind, but, but it's, it's different. See, that it kind of gives us an image of God. But then the, the flame is another image of God, and it fell equally on everyone. So now this is, this is also a sign for them to see, oh, hey, this is me and you. What, what I'm experiencing, you're experiencing. I'm not the crazy one, you know, or nothing like that. Well, you're, healing, you're hearing that, right? You're seeing this, right? And so the fact that it fell on everybody showed equality. But also think of fire. I want you to use your imagination. I'm not, I'm not doing anything today with this. So imagine I had 120 candles, and I got one match. What's interesting about fire, or let's say I had a big torch, and I go to light 120 candles. By the end of the 120, because I'm doing some division, right? Fire divided into 120. The more candles that I light, is this flame going to like flicker and flicker? Is this flame going to be less because I gave it away? No, as long as this is burning, right, there's fuel, it's going to stay strong. So it's, it's like this fire goes and lights something, and now this is... It's not part of, each candle does not possess part of the flame. It is flame, right? You hear me? You see that? And see, this is an image of what God does when God goes and saves your soul. This is what he physically does. God, now he goes into your life like you're a dead candle and now he's, he ignites you. Now there's life in you, but you don't get a piece of God. You get all of him. And it's equally in you as it is in you, as it is in me, as it is in you. It's equal. And, and no matter how many times it's being dispersed, the flame stays in its fullness. And so that is a beautiful thing that we see, that we don't have just some of God, a part of God. No, we have him fully, individually, equally. That's a really cool thing. And so both of these things also, if you think of wind and fire, don't, I know some of y'all already singing 
September in that band. I know, but listen. <laughs> Think of just wind and fire. Forget earth. Wind and fire, okay? Both those things, aren't they used as fuel sources? Right? Look at wind. We use wind to generate power. Think of a sailboat, right? A sailboat is dead in the water unless there is wind. Fire is the same thing. We use fire for fuel. It's consumption. There's power. And so this is something also symbolic that the spirit of God in us is meant for power. It is meant for fuel. It is meant for you to operate without the spirit of God. You're just a nice clean boat, but you're dead in the water. It's the spirit of the living God that propels you. It's the spirit of the living God that as believers, he is what flows in and all those things. It's just amazing. And then fire, also it's illumination, right? We got all these lights in the room. What does light do but shine and reveal what's there? And so the Holy Spirit is this fire that illuminates and he puts this lamp over Christ so that we can see God better, so we can see Jesus better, see ourselves also in who we are in him. So this is the promise received. Now let's look at the people's reaction, okay? Because it's not just these 120, there was also another larger crowd that was around. So let's look now, we're going to read verses 4 through 13. So let's look at Acts 2, verse 4 through 13. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, and key word, they were devout people. From every nation under heaven. Why are they there? Remember, this is a national holiday. So everybody makes this this trek for this national holiday. When this sound occurred, what was the sound? Not the sound of them speaking in tongues, which you're going to get to that. That violent wind sound. I mean, think of it was an explosion, okay? That's what it happened. It sounded like a bomb went off in the middle of the city. So that caught everybody's attention. When the sound occurred... A crowd came together, like any one of us, right? I mean, there's some of us who are like, oh, I'm super curious. I'm interested. A crowd came together, and they were confused because each one heard them speaking, them being those, the 120, them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, uh, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? I'm going to tell you what that means because that was actually an insult. It was kind of a confusing phrase there. How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. I had to practice all that to make sure I said it correct. Okay. Um, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them, the disciples, these people, declaring the magnificent acts of God in what? In our own language, in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, yo, they're drunk on new wine. Yo, they lit already. What is this? They're drunk on new wine. Now, like again, Please tell me I'm not the only one who, in a very awkward moment, said something, made it even more awkward. All right? You done one of those? Right? You, just, you just did. Like, you didn't know what else to say, and then something came out, and you're like, you just made it worse. You know? I, I, I did that one time. Remember, we were at Disney, and we were leaving, and um, this, this lady up in, in the parking lot of, I, I feel so bad, the parking lot of uh, Hollywood Studios were, were leaving. I got my family there, um, and so this lady's on her phone. She's walking and texting, this old lady, by the way, sorry for the terminology, but let's just give you an image. She doesn't see the parking, you know, cement block. So she trips on it. And it's one of those slow falls, like, she's trying not to fall, but she's just, it's inevitable, right? It's inevitable, you see it happening. And she just splats in the middle of the parking lot. And phone goes everywhere, and then we all run up to her, and, and you know, Malisha's there, Michael was with us, and people go, hey, you're okay, you're okay? Yeah, yeah, you're okay. And then and I open up my big mouth, and I'm like, well, your phone's okay. And it was, I don't know, it was like this thing that came out, and they all looked at me like, what did you, why? They still make fun of me till this day. Now you can all make fun of me till this day. You're welcome. So anyways. 
That statement was just this awkward statement. Some people, again, imagine a bomb going off. A bomb goes off and then you're looking around and you don't see anything on fire. You don't see damage. All you see is these something really weird. A bunch of people are talking and you saw that these people from are all around the known world at the time. So there's people there just shouting out things that um, I hear my, that guy's talking my language, but there's a bunch of these people. I don't know what they're doing. I think, I think they're drunk. And it's this phrase that new wine is, is, I've heard it both ways. I've seen, well, new wine is something that's like stronger drink. So think of like, you know, 100% alcohol, one of those like very concentrated stuff. But it was actually an insult. New wine is just from, is juice. It's really more like grape juice that hasn't fermented yet. And so in essence, they're making fun of these people because they look kind of nuts or they, they don't understand. So they're saying, yo, these guys are lightweights. Look, oh my God, bro, they're drunk in the morning. Oh, they can't handle their mimosas. You know, it's something like that. Like it's something that is just so, but again, they're just saying something awkward. They don't know what they're saying because they don't know what they're seeing. And it's very confusing. And so let's just kind of break this down a little bit. The first thing that was confusing them was the fact that, notice that I said Galileans. Galileans. If you've ever read the Bible, you read the New Testament, you know that phrase sounds familiar. Jesus was from this region, and all of his disciples were considered Galileans. So think of, you know, just an area of town, all right? It was this region called Galilee. And Galileans were believed to, they had this uh, cultural stigma of being a backwater town, very uneducated people, and they had a thick accent. So the second they opened up their mouth, you already knew, oh, you from Galilee, number one, and there's this preconceived notion, you're also an idiot, okay? So you got to process that. Now, I will not embarrass myself and commit character suicide by trying to mimic any accents that you, let's be real, associate with people who are dumb, okay? But you know that, right? If, so, if somebody started talking... In a language, it, some of you, you know, from Colombia, I'm pretty sure you would hear somebody, like, oh, I know you're from that town, right? You're from that town in Colombia. You're, you know, oh, you're from Puerto Rico. Oh, oh you're, from, <laughs> you're, from, you're from that side of the island, right? You, you, you know that. Here in America, the same thing. Like, depending on, you know, there's white people that have an accent that are considered culturally to be, mm, black people, Hispanics, everybody, let's just be real, okay? Everybody has this accent that if you heard it, you know, oh, you from X and Y city region, and I already have a preconceived notion of who you are because of the, okay? So they're confused because here's a bunch of those kind of people, Galileans, and they're these, these are not linguists. They are not linguists. And they're using and talking not only in a foreign language, but imagine this, they are talking also in the accents and dialects of these regions. And so they're super confused. This is awkward. And everyone is doing, and then say, we hear all of the languages they're represented. And so that was a very interesting thing. We'll talk about a little bit more about that. We're act, that'll be a theme that kind of pops out through Acts. So we're going to pick up speaking in tongues throughout this year, so you'll see. But right now what we see is that speaking in tongues is not gibberish. It's not this made-up language. It's not this ecstatic speaking. It's not a private language that anyone, no, they, they are speaking in a language that is human. That's like me busting out some Korean right now. It's a, I'm not making it up. It would be, I don't know Korean, but it's just the thing. And they're using all speaking in languages they don't understand for a reason. So number one, you got to catch that. And this also, just Luke is just describing what happened. It doesn't mean that this has to happen. This doesn't mean this has to happen all the time. It's just describing what happens. But did you catch that all of that also, that other phrase? They were devout, devout Jews, and it also said something. They were like, what does this mean? What does this mean? See, see certain, these devout Jews, these, these guys don't play. Devout Jews, if they're making this trek, first off, to make a trip back in the day, it was expensive. It was not cheap to do this trip. So these guys, they're for real, okay? They're the real, they're the real ones. And they know. They know the scriptures. They know the Old Testament. They know the history. And they've also known that every time, because God would do something in the Old Testament, and he would do these prophecies, and he would say, listen, if you as a people are in rebellion towards me, then a this is a judgment sign that you know you guys, are you guys have messed up and you guys have left my covering, is when you hear foreign languages in your mix because there is going to be an invasion. And so you would see this in, in Israel's history where a new nation speaking a language that they did not understand would pop up. And they start, talk, they start using it, and that was a present sign of judgment. 
meaning an invasion is taking place, and this is judgment on your hard hearts and rejection of God. So some of these devout Jews, they've heard the stories. They know that, wait a minute, every time this is happening, that's a sign of judgment. That means an invasion is about to happen, but it's not just one language, it's what is going on? Like, are, you know, are all of the nations around the world about to gather upon and take us? Out? So some knew the stories. They were very confused. And they weren't wrong. Because Paul later in 1 um, Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about this, this phenomenon of someone talking in a language that they don't understand. And he says, remember, that's a judgment sign. When that happens, it's meant for be a judgment sign to unbelievers. It's for them to show. So there's this stigma to that. There's a stigma to the judgment sign. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's saying. And so the, the other thing that was very confusing as well was, what were they saying? Did you guys catch it? All of these 120, what were they speaking in these languages? But the wonders of God. They were talking about who God is, what he has done. They're declaring these amazing, if you've ever read the Psalms and all of these Old Testament texts, when they declare the glories of God and who he is, and that's what they're saying. These guys are just spitting out these things. And here's what's confusing about these people. The only ones, the only language that anybody has ever heard of people declaring the glories of God was Hebrew, because that's how it was supposed to be. Hebrew was the only language. It was considered God's language. And so these people who would gather together and they grew up doing this, they only heard the glories of God in what language? Hebrew and nothing else. So here they are for the first time hearing the glories of God mentioned and used in different dialects, in different languages. You know what? Before that was blasphemy. That was like, you don't do that. But see, that was also not only was for these foreign languages a judgment sign, but it was also a welcome mat. It was God showing that, yo, again, I said a minute ago, the door to the family of God is now open. You don't just have to be a Jew to be saved. You don't have to have that DNA to be saved. Now it is open to all, no matter color, race, creed, all of that. The people of God has now been open to everybody. So it was this really interesting judgment sign, but at the same time, a positive sign to those people. And so it was really, really cool. And all of this is happening because now the people of God is now global. And so this is all confused, and they're like, what does this mean? So you can see, they're so, this matters. They need to know, is, wait a minute, is this a judgment? Or, or what is happening? And so this is when Peter stands up, and we're going to read now Acts 14 through 21. Here's part of Peter's response to the people there. We're going to pick up the rest of his response next week, but let's look at what he has to say. So verse 14 through 21, Peter so we all, if you're familiar with Peter, he's, you know, Jesus' right-hand man. And he steps up in this moment in the power of the Holy Spirit. He stood up with the other 11 disciples that were there. And he raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and you residents of Jerusalem, guys, let me explain to you. Let me explain to you. Pay attention to my words. For these people, yeah, we're not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. And so he was like, listen, guys, we're not, it's not, we're not that weaklings. We're not that bad. It's, it, we're not that. It's, it's early. We didn't, get, we didn't start hitting it, you know. Just not, No, it's 9 a.m. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Now, remember, these are devout Jews who know the Old Testament. So now Peter starts spitting Old Testament. So now look what he says. He says, this is what the prophet Joel said was going to happen hundreds of years before this event happened. God had showed the prophet Joel a glimpse of the future, and he showed him this, and he wrote it down in, so you can read it in Joel, I believe it's chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 32, so you can kind of check that out and read the original in the Old Testament. And so he's quoting it, and here's what he says. And it will be in the what phrase? Last days. And it will be in the last days, says God. He's quoting from Joel hundreds of years before this event happened, that I will pour out my what? Spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. So this is what's happening. Verse 18, well, and they will prophesy. I'll explain what that means in a minute. I will display, he says, wonders in the heavens and above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. 
and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, how many people? Everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So give you caveat prophecy, because when you hear prophecy, I'm pretty sure you think, you know, like, ast- you know, not astronomers. What's his name? Notre Dame. Okay. You think of somebody like that. You think of somebody giving a prophetic word about the future. That is an element of prophecy. That is called foretelling. But listen, the prophecy that he is describing here and that they're seeing, because these guys are prophesying. Prophesying is not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. Meaning, I'm just relaying information. Guys, I'm prophesying right now. I'm not telling you a future. I'm not going to be like, and tomorrow you're going to, no, okay? Uh, Prophesying is telling you the truth. That's what prophesying is. And here he's saying the spirit will come upon you and you will prophesy, meaning you're going to know the truth and you're going to be just dispensers of truth of who God is and what he's doing. That is amazing prophecy that you and I are all supposed to do as believers. That is the kind of prophecy we need to be in. And so he is telling them what Joel saw. And Joel saw this vision of what days? Last days. That's another thing that maybe as believers, as Christians, I got to give you a, uh, you know, a heads up on that because everybody has an opinion of that phrase. Because when you think of last days, you literally think the last days, right? The final countdown before, now you're singing that song. I'm sorry. You know, the, the, the final countdown right before Jesus shows up, right? Let's be real. Does anybody, when you heard of last days, you're thinking like Jesus can show up this weekend, right? That's kind of what we think. But that's not what that means. Every time the word last days is used in the Old Testament and in the New, it does not represent literally a final handful of days, like a month or so. It represents a time period. The last days of the earth, the last days of this age. And the last days have been going on for 2,000 years. And so what Joel saw was an image, a vision of this age, of the last days. And Peter is trying to say, guys, The countdown has begun. We've just entered into a new age, the one that God said was going to happen. It's here, the window of opportunity. It's opened up. This is what they were all there for. All of these devout Jews, why were they doing everything that they were doing? It wasn't just cultural. Remember, these are devout, meaning they believed in the God of the the Hebrews, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some of these were non-Jews who were converts who believed in this God, and they would do these rituals, and they would go to these things because they believed in the Old Testament prophecies that said, I will do something in the world, and I will make it possible for you to be restored and redeemed and forgiven. They knew, and he's saying, guys, it's here. It's here. That's what he's saying. And so the last days, guys, is something. We're living in it right now, literally, because it started, the window started at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. We don't know know how many days are left, but this is that phrase. Now, if you read everything, some of you, maybe some phrases sounded familiar. Blood, you know, moon turning into blood and sun. If you've read the book of Revelation, that's in there too. And so there's a break in this. And so what, what Peter and them are experiencing is verse 17 and 18, where the spirit of God is being poured out on all. Notice everybody in the room, it was equally men and women, younger and older. It didn't matter. God was bringing everybody into the fold. Verses 19, 20, and 21, the back half of, the, of Joel's prophecy was the, really the conclusion. That's really the final last days of the last days time period. And so Joel saw the whole age from beginning to end, but he saw it as one thing. And so we are in the middle of it. We don't see the back end, but we are in it. So that's what Peter's trying to get him to understand. And so the last days, now hopefully we all know, the last days are the days in between Jesus' first showing and his second coming. We all good? That is the last days. But then there's a specific one. He says, before the great and glorious day of the Lord. That's not plural, is it? That's singular. So every time you see the word day of the Lord, that is Jesus' return. That's going to be a wonderful day for some of us and a horrific day for a bunch of other people. 
That's what the day of the Lord is. And so here, he's just trying to get them to all understand scripture and all understand this is what's happening. But don't lose sight. He says, all who call on the name of the Lord during this time period, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you become, how little you know, how much you know. He says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Guys, can you just take a minute? And because I'm here to tell you that we are living in that time frame. And some of you have done that. Some of you have called on the name of the Lord. And when you said, Jesus, are you there? He didn't plug his fingers and pretend you weren't. Okay. When you called on him and said, I need you. Do you forgive me of my sins? He didn't be like, listen, I'm gonna, let me think about it. All right. He didn't do that. When, he, when you called on him, what did he do? He said, yes. When you asked him to, Lord, be my savior, wash me clean, make me new, what did he do? He said, yes. He didn't say, here's a number, wait in line. Okay, so can you just pause for a minute? Can we just take a minute and pause and thank God that when you called on him, he didn't ghost your call. When you called on him, he didn't leave you hanging, that he answered your call. Who is grateful that when God did that, he did? Okay, hold on to that. It didn't matter your color. It didn't matter your, who you were, what you did. It, didn't, it doesn't matter what you did, how horrific it was, whatever lifestyle you lived. When you called on him, he said, yes, you too. It's okay. That's amazing. And so Peter is trying to get them to understand that. Now, we're going to pick up his story because he keeps on going. So we're just going to linger in this moment for this week. But here's this, this, this bottom line that I want you guys to understand that Paul is trying, Peter's trying to communicate to them. And God had been trying to communicate, and he's fulfilling it. And this is what Jesus made possible. Jesus made it possible for anyone. He made it possible for anyone to be forgiven and filled. See, it's one thing, guys, if God just forgave you of your sins. I'm going to be real with you. If all God did for me was forgive me of my sins and did nothing else for me, that would be enough. That would be enough. If all he did, and I don't know if you would feel the same way, if all God ever did for you was forgive you of your sins, pardon you of your present, past, present, and even future sins, if all he did was pardon you, if he never responded to a prayer, never acted in your life, would you still call and have love for Jesus if all he did was pardon you of your sins? Hopefully your answer is yes, because that is more than enough. More than enough, but it's better than that. See, God doesn't just forgive you. What does he do? He made it possible for us to be what? Filled. Meaning the void that is inside of us. He is now not just some external thing, but now that breath of life is inside of you. That's inside of you. And he, now you might not feel it. A bomb doesn't go off every time that happens. There was a unique thing. See, God did this moment to kind of get everybody's attention. So he makes this sound and everyone's got, what's going on? Oh, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay. And so that's what that event was. Why were they talking in all these other languages? It was really the introduction to Peter's sermon. God got their attention because the point of it was not the miracle. The point of it was now let me communicate a message. And that message is about Jesus and what he did. That was the most important part. And that is what we're seeing here. And guys, the fact that he, met, he filled us is now, again, that void inside that you and I, we've done it and we still, maybe some of you do. You try to fill it with everything and anything. Everything and anything. And notice that it's never enough. You have to keep doubling back and keep refilling and refilling because it's not enough. Right? It's not enough. It's like you just trying to, you know, imagine just trying to take, again, a little bit of something and you just like, you know, if you ever created a hole in the sand, you ever on the beach and then you, you get some water and you dump it and then it just, you know, it like sinks. You got to trap it. That's our souls. And so the more we do and we put things in our souls, it doesn't retain. It doesn't say, but only Christ, only he can fill and it remains. And now that's, and this is also this amazing thing. The fact that that same spirit, the Holy Spirit is in me. It's in you, it's in you. You know what that means? That's all of him, not just some of him. God, because of his Holy Spirit and all believers, he now brings us into the Trinity. He brings us into a relationship with him. We're not on the outside table. No, we're in because of what he did. And so, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. And this is, I'm going to, you know, we're going to see this throughout the year if you can hang in with there, uh, hang in there with us. But I'm just going to give a very poor but 
you know, quick analogy, guys, of what the Holy Spirit does. See, the Holy Spirit of God is very important. We need him because the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. He convicts us. He convinces us. He converts us. He consecrates us and compels us. This is what the Holy Spirit is meant to do. He is the only one that can convict you of sin. I can't do that. I cannot convict your soul and help you to see your, the hole that's inside. I can't convince you. I'm trying, but I know that I can't do it. And my own wisdom is not enough. My own eloquency, no analogy that I can do. Nothing can turn on the light bulb inside of you unless it's the spirit of the living God shining. See, it is only by the Holy Spirit that people are saved. It is only the Holy Spirit who will convict you and show you, you need, there is something missing. And it is only the Holy Spirit that can convince you what you need is Jesus. And then when you agree and when you say yes, it is the Holy Spirit that converts you. He's the one that changes you. He brings you from dead to life. That's, and now you are no longer, he converts you from an enemy of God to a son and daughter of God. That is what the Holy Spirit does. I can't do that for you. I can dunk you in some water. You're just going to be wet. But it is the Holy Spirit who does that. It is him who does it on the inside. That is what he does. And then it keeps going. He couldn't, like, remember last week I said salvation is just a starting point because now what you have, he, now I just said converts, what is he? He consecrates us. It's the Holy Spirit. The more we are in relationship with the truth of God and all of these things, he molds us. He shapes you. He helps you to be more like Christ. He's the one at work in you, producing these fruits of love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. You just can't and it popped out. No, it is him in you. When you have your roots in the truth of who he is, that's the fruits that are produced. And by the way, the Holy Spirit isn't just this mystical goosebumps that you feel and all that other stuff. Listen, check this out. Paul says that the, this is the sword of the, some of y'all know this, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This on paper is printed. This is the breath of of life. The Holy Spirit inspired this. This is the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is so you can't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit if you're not in these pages. Right? That's the, you want to feel the wind of God? Look, just do that, okay? But then open it up and read it because, you know, you, that's what you need. This is the breath of life. This is what you need. This is the breath of life. And the more we are in scriptures, which is the Holy Spirit, though that the truth inside of us produces fruits, and that's what we're called to do. And then it's the fruits are meant to compel us to move. Remember, just like the wind in a sailboat. That's what the truth is meant to do, is to fuel us, to launch us. And the Spirit compels us to speak the truths and the glories of God. And it compels us to serve. And it compels us to live in such a way that when people look at you, they say, yo, something is different. It was like, you're right. You're right. You're seeing the light of Jesus shining through my cracks because I'm just an imperfect person. But I got a purpose because of what Jesus is. And that purpose is bigger than your job. It's bigger than your career and your accolades. Your purpose is to know God and make him known no matter the field that you're in. And so this is what the spirit is. And I'm here to tell you, we all need it. As believers in Christ, I'm talking to you now. We all need Jesus and we all need the Holy Spirit to fuel our lives. You know why? Because we are not self-sustaining. Think about it. You depend on external things for your survival. Some of you, okay, you still live at home. You depend on your parents for your survival because if it wasn't for them, let's just be real, we got people that don't even know how to, you know, barely tie their shoelaces, right? Let alone do something like you know, change a tire, change my oil. What? Oh my gosh. It's like, mommy, daddy, you know, it's like, and so mom, you guys depend on your parents for survival. Some of y'all. Okay. Some of y'all depend on your spouse for survival. Listen, if it wasn't for my, I, I, I lose myself no matter what. My wife is my G, GPS. If I didn't have the internet, I'm, I'm lost. And so, but we all depend on each other, right? We all depend on people, but just think about just use a person. You depend on this external air that you breathe. Without air, you don't live. Because why? Our bodies don't produce oxygen. We need to pull in the oxygen from the outside in order to what? Function, in order to work. You guys, in a little bit, you're going to eat. Why? Because you, do, you, are, de you are dependent on external fuel, source of fuel, i.e. food, to eat, to function. Without food, you die. If you go too long without food, 
You don't function well, do you, right? You didn't have your morning coffee. Uh Uh-oh, don't talk to me, right? If you didn't have breakfast, if you go too long without eating carbs, you know, your, your body, you know, you get cloudy and all this stuff. You need fuel. You need fuel to function. Well, the Holy Spirit is that. This is the fuel that we need. It's the truth of the Spirit of God. It is Him breathing life into us, not just weekly like you're doing now, but hopefully daily or sometimes moment by moment. This is the sole food that we need. And just like food, you need to receive it in order for it to work, huh? I can create a plate and lay it down in front of you. You could be starving, but until you receive the food, it's not going to have an effect. Until you receive the truth of God, until you receive it, meaning you believe it and you apply it, you begin to see the effects of God in your life. You need that. And so we are called to do when we have, and every believer, I'm here to tell you, if you have given your life to Jesus and you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside. Now it's a point of you learning to have a relationship with that Holy Spirit. He's there. And Paul says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, which is this. Imagine you inside, you need something. Well, you have God in you and you have the truth hopefully in you, but it's up to you to agree with that truth. It's, it's up to you to follow through. And so if you know something happens and you're like, God is telling you, you need to forgive that person here. I'm going to give you the ability to forgive the unforgivable. You're like, mm, no, I don't want to. Okay. It's like you say, like, you know, here, uh, you know, open wide. Say, ah, like, mm-mm, mm-mm. like, you don't want to eat it. You're that kid. And so when you're doing that, what happens? You would frustrate a parent, right? And I've been there, right? Like, you know, get it, bro. Just eat. You need to eat. And so you, you, as a parent, you get frustrated. Well, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. He's like, no, 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 no. You need this. Don't, no, don't reject me. We don't like to be rejected. Well, the Holy Spirit feels the same way. He, you know, it's not that he's sensitive. He's just real. He loves you. And when we reject the truth, when we reject his following and his leading, he's like, no, don't do that because it's just going to end poorly for you. And quenching the Holy Spirit is just refusing it. And it grieves him. And so we're just called to have a relationship where we're learning to do that less and less. Because we're not perfect. But it's learning to do that less and less. But guys, I want you to know that you and I can feast. Feast on who God is. Feast on the love of God, on the truth of God. And how much does it cost? It's free. Because it's been paid for already. You and I, why would we refuse to eat knowing if you were starving and homeless, would you refuse a meal that was already purchased for you? No, you would consume it. And so, guys, in the same way, you and I are called to feast, not just weekly, daily on who God is, daily on the truth. And we get to feast for free because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is something that we get to do. But I'm here to tell you something so cool. Because, see, this feast, what we get to experience, it's just the appetizer. It's just the appetizer. Let's be real. Who likes to go to the restaurants and you determine which restaurant you're going to go to based on if the appetizers are free and bottomless. Okay. Anybody do that? And I'm like, I'm going to go there because I know that garlic garlic bread at Olive Garden. Yes, that's right there. Or those buttered yeast rolls from Texas Longhorn, right? Or the chips and salsa from, you see, now, now that's what you guys are thinking, right? But, but imagine, imagine, like, could you just eat that? And them cheddar biscuits at Red Lobster. Okay, I'm going to stop. All right, I'm going to stop. All right, could you imagine? I mean, those are delicious, right? Aren't those appetizers good? And have you, have you ever gone to a restaurant and just had the appetizers as your meal because it was that good? Have we done that? We've all done that. But here's what is an appetizer meant to do? An appetizer is meant to prep you for the next meal. When you have a multi-course meal, a three-course meal, a five-course meal, a chef expertly produces every element. So the appetizer is meant to prepare your taste buds for the next meal. And the next meal is meant to prepare your taste buds for the next so you can better receive and enjoy the next thing. I'm here to tell you this age that we're living in, the fact that you and I can experience the love of God and the truth of God and we can feast on it, it's just the appetizer because there's a meal that is yet to be served. There is a meal called the, the, the Supper of the Lamb, which is when Jesus returns. There is a feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, that when Jesus returns, there is going to be a party that he's going to throw. A meal, not just a physical one or a spiritual one, but there is something that is happening that is going to happen. The appetizer is delicious. We can be full on an appetizer today, but we eat this appetizer knowing there's still a meal yet to come when Jesus returns. There is a meal yet to come. But here's the thing. You're not going to sit at that table and enjoy that meal if you're not willing to come to the table now. 
Now's the time before you miss. Now's the time. You're not going to get that meal. You're not going to sit at that table if you're not able or willing to sit at the table that Jesus has opened up for you today. That is what he's made. That is the window of opportunity. And so, guys, I'm, if I'm here to tell you, listen, are you, I'm pretty sure we're not just starving physically, but are you starving? For all of you who are starving for something, you're starving for love. You're starving for security. Maybe you're starving for just wisdom, freedom, wisdom, freedom from, from guilt and shame. You're starving for affirmation. You're starving for recognition. You're starving to live an experience that is bigger than yourself. If you're starving for all of that, there is nothing that can compare to Christ because the love of Jesus can satisfy all of those things to the core. Your need for love and security and freedom and affirmation and only the love of Jesus can ultimately fulfill that permanently. If you're starving, Jesus made it possible to say, hey, I got a table. I got a seat for you. And it's big enough for you and you and you and you online and you and you and you. There's a seat with your name on it. I'm calling you. You got to come sit. And so if you're starving, if you're looking for God, I'm here to tell you, listen, receive the breath of life. Receive the Holy Spirit. How? By responding to Jesus. You receive the Holy Spirit when you respond to the love of Jesus displayed on the cross. It happens. That's how you do it. And there's nothing crazy that's going to happen to you. No, it's the best thing that happens to you. You receive the Holy Spirit when you respond to the love of Jesus. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's not just some guy. And that I, there's a void inside of me and there's something telling me it is Jesus. And so I'm coming to an agreement and saying, yes, Jesus, will you forgive me? When you, are, when you ask for that, and he says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you are saved, and if you've done that, well, guys, keep returning back to the table. The, 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 this is, listen, the bottom, like the chips are bottomless, right? The appetizer is bottomless. The love of God is bottomless. Keep consuming. Keep returning to God's word. Keep returning to God's people. This is how you experience that amazing love of God that fills you and changes you and gives you a greater desire. And you are not pursuing a what. This is not about activities. This is not about learning more. It is not a what. It is a who that we are consuming. It is the person of Christ in the scriptures. This is who he is. And so if you've been saved, then awesome. Then continue to surrender and saturate yourself with the truth of God with the love of God in the Holy Spirit because only he can satisfy your souls and he paid the price so you can do this all and sit at the table for free what costs you is your confession and so guys I want to take a minute let's let's just pray and give you a moment just to reflect on all this truth that we've just been describing Lord I want to thank you for right now Lord that you have made a table large enough and big enough and able enough for each and every person, Lord, to sit. There is not one of us that if ever we wanted to draw near that you would say, oh, there's not enough room for you. Lord, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you have made it possible for us through the blood of Jesus and through your sacrifice and through your victory over sin and death that you can make it possible for us to do this, Lord. I thank you. I want to pray right now. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ, come on, worship him right now with where you are. Just reflect on the fact that you are sitting at the table right now and Jesus made it possible. Can you just take a minute and in your own heart worship him? Thank him for what he did when you called on his name. Thank you for what he did. Take a minute and worship that he has done more than just forgive you. He has done more than just say your sins are forgiven, but he has given you his Holy Spirit. Can you just take a minute right now and thank him Thank him for his presence in your life, that he has done more than enough. Just worship him right now, that he is closer to you than you can ever imagine. Worship your God and give him just a heart sacrifice of praise and gratitude for all that he is doing. And thank him that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you're, gonna, you're not going to be kicked out of that table, but that you have a reservation, you have an eternal reservation that you will be forever and enjoy something and you are going to enjoy him like you've never imagined when he returns and know that he has not abandoned us. He has not abandoned us that our Lord is in control and he is coming back for his people one day. We have a present hope because of that. Can Church, can you just worship God online, everybody? Just worship God for what he is and what he is doing. 
that he's forgiven you and fulfilled you, that he is doing so much. I want to take a minute, church, and challenge you. Have you grieved the Holy Spirit by quenching him? Is there something, I'm talking to the church now, is there something that God, if you are, I guarantee you he's showing you. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you may reveal right now an area in which any one of us may be quenching you, rejecting your truth, not following in line. If there's unforgiveness, that is, that is a result. Holy Spirit, shine that light and help us to see who we need to forgive. Help us to see, Lord, maybe for some of us, we have just, we, we don't have disciplines. We are so lazy and we are not feasting on your word. We're, we're barely surviving on scraps because we are choosing to do other things other than know you and spend time in the word and spend time in prayer. God, I pray that you may show that, reveal that. If that is a conviction, if God is correcting you, okay, forgive, give it to him right now. Whatever he's showing you, whatever he's showing you right now, say, Lord, forgive me of that. Thank you that your blood covers this. And now take a moment and let the love of God wash away that sin and wash away that shame, knowing that Jesus died and covered that. He's already pre-forgiven that. So just enjoy that. Make a decision right now. Make a decision right now. What is he showing you to do? Church, you got to do that right now. Respond to the spirit of the living God. Raise up, open your sails so that he can breathe life in you once again and move you to love the unlovable. Do the incredible. Forgive the unforgivable. And online, everybody that is here and watching or in future cast watching, listen, the, everything I've just described, God cannot move in your heart until you've made room. He cannot move in you until you made room. And some of you, I'm, I'm here to say the chances are you may call yourself a Christian. The chances are you might not be. That's just the reality of it. So I'm here to tell each and every one of you, you, you can't sit at the table just because you call yourself a Christian. You can't sit at the table, at the future table or now, just because you're sitting in a church or because you read your Bible or because you do this or do that. Your only invitation is because you said yes to Jesus. You recognize I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I said yes to him. That is the only thing that allows you to sit at the table. Nothing else. Nothing else. You can't say, well, I've done a good job and I'm not as bad as someone. Why are you sitting here? No, you won't. Why am I sitting? Why can I sit here? Because Jesus made it possible. Because Jesus said I could. If I called on his name. If I called on his name, he said I would be saved. That is why. And so I'm here to tell each and every one of you, if you don't know, that is the decision you need to make. Before you can forgive anybody else, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Recognize you have a gaping hole for him. And the window of opportunity is now. When Jesus returns, that window is closed and it's gonna to be too late. You're gonna know him and there will, be, there will be people who will see him and call on his name, but it's too late because they've already made their choice to make your decision now before it is made for you. Make your decision now to put your trust and confidence in Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that everybody that is watching online, that I can't see anybody in the future, anybody here, Lord, that you help them to see right now. Convince them, Holy Spirit. Help them to call now on your name. There is salvation only in the name of Jesus and no other name. So call on his name. Say, Lord, forgive me and fill me right now. Set me free. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you may continue to open our eyes even now. Open our eyes to the truth and the reality of your love. God, I pray that peace may now replace, may the peace of God replace the anxiety that was there about the future. May you experience the peace that you, like, oh my gosh, this is it. May you experience the love of God that is filling now washing you clean may you experience that may you know that you have a hope that anchors your soul though you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you know what's going to happen one day because of jesus god i thank you and i just praise you right now for all that you have done all that you have shown us all that we are doing all that you are doing in us and holy spirit i pray that over the next days and this next coming week, I pray that you may continue, continue, continue to open up our eyes and lead us into the truth. Lord, lead us to take these steps that we may continue to know Christ, surrendered, live a life that is surrendered and saturated in you, God, so that others can be set free. Thank you for the free, gracious gift of the love of God. And if you're grateful for that free gift that God has given you, I want you to say amen and type amen with me. If you're grateful. Listen, remember, if you are starving, God can satisfy. Only he can satisfy you. There is nothing in this world that can compare. He is what you are looking for. He is what you need. 
and the gift that God has given us. Listen, man, it is free. You get to feast for free on the love of God, on who he is. But I want to challenge you and double down once again. Listen, this invitation has a timestamp. All right, as long as you are hearing me right now, that means the time is still open. It is still available. The window of opportunity is still here. And I want to challenge you once again, if you are seeking God, or if you're seeking for answers, listen, surrender, receive the Holy Spirit by responding to the love of God, the truth that was displayed on the cross. You need him. Believe in Christ. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. You know you're not perfect. Own up to that. Give it to him and receive the forgiveness and the infilling that only God can give you. And then once that has happened, and for all of you, if you're listening, you're believers, you'll keep returning, keep returning, keep coming back, keep doubling down, dive into the word of God, get to know and grow in relationships with the people of God and reflect the glory of God in all that you do. The spirit is the wind to your sails and it is the fuel to your soul. It is an amazing gift that we need to appreciate and we need to grow in understanding each and every day. The more that you do, the more the Holy Spirit will make you different, more like Christ. And the more you be different you become, the more like Christ you become, the bigger the difference that we can make, really that he makes through us. Reflect on that this week until we come back next week when we continue looking at Peter's response to the people's reaction of what happened on that day. Thank you.